I'm glad to see you here tonight. We continue our series of satsangs, hoping that this season will conclude the long, long series on the Gospel of Luke. We are already in the middle or beyond the middle of the chapter number 22, and the Gospel of Luke has 24 chapters all in all, and therefore uh, there's a little bit left for us to go, perhaps four or five satsangs. And we also see a part of Jesus which is very different. As yogis, it still helps us to understand some things, to understand some cosmic laws, to understand the resonance of some actions and of some events. But you can obviously see that since the moment when Jesus becomes or is arrested, and then he is beaten, tortured, judged, brought in front of various so-called authorities who pretend that they have the right to judge of what's happening to this man, then what is happening is that Jesus becomes completely different psychologically. It's another Jesus. Jesus, when he was left alone to be himself, to to behave as he wished, in freedom, he behaved in one way. And he was generally solar. He was generally on the offensive, rather in defensive. And uh, he was speaking the truth loud and clear. And he was, you know, he told to a man, your sins are forgiven. And people said, come on, man, only God can forgive the sins. And then Jesus made that man get up from his stretcher, although he had been paralyzed all his life, and sent him home. No, like Jesus would take any challenge until this time. He would take any challenge in a very solar way. And he would take any provocation, any challenge, like, okay, I have to do something. I have to show that I'm right on this. I have to show to people the message from God. But in the moment when the profoundly demonized people laid hands on him, in that moment, he stopped trying. No, he did not try to perform miracles. He did not try to do paranormal things. He did not try, like, of course, when he was asked about some things, like, hey, are you this? And did you tell lies? And are you a false prophet or something? Then, uh, of course, he said, no, I have been speaking openly. I am who I am. I know what I'm doing and so on. But nevertheless, he does not have the same aggression. No, I would use a a wrong word, you know, because he is not really aggressive. But before time, when he wanted to tell the truth, (coughs) he was really accusing people. He was shark, he was sharp. He called them foxes, snakes, wolves in a lamb's skin. You know, like he accused people of falsities, of hypocrisies, of demonism, of darkness, of a lot of things. He could have done the same thing here. 
He could have said, guys, you caught me and you are preparing to beat me up or something like this. You are just a bunch of assholes, you know. You are the devil's spawns, all of you. You don't have any truth in what you say. No, he could have been on offensive, but he is not. Either it's the human nature, that there was too much pressure on him from a human standpoint. He was beaten, tortured, threatened. And there was no way he could do something about it. And of course, on the other hand, we think about the fact that his psychology was that, okay, this negativity must happen, is bound to happen. I'm pretty much sure that with the genius of Jesus, exactly as he stopped those people from stoning an adulterous woman, because they said that's the law of Moses, that's the law of I God know whom, you know, that this woman fucked around and now we have to stone her to death. And Jesus just told them one sentence and paralyzed them, froze them into the act of it. And when it was about him, he somehow did not want to use I'm sure there was a divine wisdom in Jesus would would have allowed him to speak to the high council of priests or something and paralyze them, you know, hit them with a lightning of truth. He could have brought the word of God, you know, the real, because he was in possession of this supreme truth, of this supreme, or a man who a week before had brought Lazarus back from the grave. But he did not want to use it. In a certain way, we can see a side of Jesus which uh, is defiant. It's like, on one hand, he is asking for trouble because he's behaving like, I don't respect you guys and you are not good enough and blah, blah, blah. No, he doesn't comply with them. He doesn't say, sorry, you know, I'm young and enthusiastic and maybe I have, you know, like he doesn't try to make a deal with them. He's not a politician at all. And he shows us a way which I have seen in my life with other people when confronted to very demonic, very dark, very bad things, that he suddenly goes into a corner and he's just defiant. He doesn't recant. He is not afraid, really, but he it's like, you know, that's how you behave with the demons. You don't try to negotiate with them. You don't try to be nice to them. You don't try to play any politics with them. He just put his head between his shoulders and he kind of said, do your worst. I still claim that I am the son of God, you know, and for the rest, you guys, you know, but he kind of, took replies like, you guys don't know what you're talking about. You guys are stupid. You speak, but you don't know. You you know, like, this is speaking provocatively and at the same time elliptically, you know, like at least you could give me an explanation of what you mean by that. You could try to explicitate. Jesus is becoming like a grudgy, grumpy child, you know, He behaves like, no, I'm not talking to you. I'm not playing with you. You are wrong all the way. And that's the way it is. And that's the way it's going to finish. I'm just sitting in a bit of a twisted way here. So, this is what's happening. 
And that's why, of course, we are going to see again the face of glory of Jesus after the resurrection. But these two episodes in the end of chapter 22 and in 23 and so on, they are very bitter because they show us another Jesus. They show us what happened to this shining Jesus, so righteous, so perfectionistic, so amazing. What happened to him when he was taken and beaten and tortured and smeared? And uh, eventually, even when the crowds were asked to save him, the crowds preferred to save Barabbas, some zealot, some patriot, assassin, manipuristic fellow. So, Jesus was praying. He was asking the disciples to make a prayer with him. He was afraid. He was asking them not to sleep. But obviously, death was coming. The sentence was coming. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. Well, that crowd was soldiers. They were soldiers of the temple, so they were local police. So, a crowd, but not a crowd of uh, sympathizers or a crowd of curious people. He approached Jesus to kiss him, But Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? That's a famous formulation in other Gospels. In some other of the Gospels, they say that Judas actually kissed him because they wouldn't recognize him. And he said, the man that I kiss, that's the man that you have to arrest. It's pretty paradoxical because you would think that everybody would recognize Jesus. But perhaps there were so many people dressed in white and having long hair and a beard and being in their 30s that maybe indeed it was difficult to identify directly who Jesus was. When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. That one is known to be Peter. It's the only bloodshed which happened because before Jesus told them, do this or don't do that, they uh, attacked. You wouldn't have, it would have taken a lot of effort to take some Japanese samurai to stop from defending their feudal lord if some assholes came and arrested him. So obviously there was not too much military talent there. Only Peter, who apparently was a more manipuristic man, reason for which he became also the leader of the pack of apostles after the passing of Jesus. Uh, Peter had an access of anger and he hit and he cut the ear. From this cutting of the ear, there actually comes a symbol because uh, there, there are some Jewish sects and especially some secret societies deriving from the Jewish sects, I don't remember exactly who they are, the Frankists or some of these, who did that, they cut their ear, as like, we are the servant of the high priest, whose uh, Peter cut his ear, you know, is the bout of sympathy, they took that as a sign, you know, that we are the people with a cut ear, you know, representing that, so obviously representing the people who would arrest Jesus, judge him, condemn him, and execute him. So, 
One of them, Peter, struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right. The servant of the high priest was probably a sort of special servant because the others were just guards, guards of the temple, a sort of local militia. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. We don't know if it was instantaneous healing, what, like how spectacular this healing was, but it is mentioned. And Jesus also stopped it by telling to, the, to Peter the famous word, which I don't know if it is uh, mentioned in this gospel or not, by telling him, Peter, he who lives by the sword dies by the sword. Like If you live like Braveheart, you have to expect to die like Braveheart. If you live like El Sid, you have to expect to die like El Sid. Yeah? Therefore, uh, he who lives by the sword shall perish by the sword. It's just the law of resonance and the law of karma brought together in a synthesis. And Jesus simply said, that's not the way I want to go. I don't want to start a civil war. Although there was a civil war six months later after he passed away because they were chasing the Christians around. So the civil war came anyway and the Jewish society got split. But somehow Jesus in his conscious option, in his choice, he says, no, I'm not going to do any of this and my disciples are not going to defend me. There were so many people who liked Jesus that they were afraid to arrest him in the daytime. And they wanted to arrest him in the night time when he was surrounded by a limited number of students because in the daytime he was surrounded by hundreds of disciples and in the night time maybe there were 20 around him. No? And then it was more easy to fight with 20 than with 300. You know? So Jesus could have easily defended himself just with the popularity that he had. But he did not even want to do that, which shows clearly this defiant thing, you know, he wanted to go and he wanted to give them the finger and he wanted to be impolite and he wanted to be like spiteful and resentful and, you know, he wanted to, in a certain way, if Jesus is God, then basically through the attitude of Jesus, God expressed his own discontentment, contempt, you know, it's like, you should be happy that I'm not killing you all right now. You know, that I'm, it's like, I'm, I don't give a shit, you know, it's like, you are baboons. You are like, a sort of a disdain is contained in this message. So, anyway, a last minute miracle, which passed unobserved, apparently. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him. So this is who came for him. The officers of the temple guard, chief priests, elders, they were all there to arrest this one man. He told them, am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. Um, that happens. There are times which you know as yogis when darkness reigns. This example in the case of Jesus is a very extreme example. Like it has happened seldom in history and perhaps with Jesus 
it has happened stronger than with everyone. If you are going to look at the story of the life of Joan of Arc, for example, uh, it happened with her, you know, mysteriously Joan of Arc. She was arrested by the British for obvious political reasons because she liberated a few French cities and she empowered the king of France to fight back for the independence of France because the British were choking them almost. You know? And then the British, spitefully, out of grudge and spite, they arrested her and then they were trying to find, they told her that she was doing witchcraft, that she was the tool of Satan, which was exactly the opposite of what she was. You know? And then they condemned her to death for witchcraft or something, and they burned her at stake. There you can say, okay, when the time of John of Arc had come, then there were two, three days where darkness was reigning. Darkness was ruling. There are such moments in which there is given a free reign. And this example with Jesus is archetypal. It's a sort of the mother of our examples. Like what followed in the next three days almost is incomprehensible until today. Like how so many people liked Jesus, but somehow in one day and a half until he was crucified, Nobody managed to do anything. He was such a charismatic, successful person and everybody disappeared completely. So, then he he said logically like Jesus preserved, but in a defiant way he he said, now you're coming in the night. Why didn't you arrest me in the day? They knew very well why they didn't arrest him in the day because it's a very fine balance of forces the forces of darkness, they need to catch such a moment. And if God wouldn't have wanted to give them such a moment, it would have never come. But Jesus knew that this was permitted, and that's why he says, this is your hour. It was not just one hour, it was like 36 hours, which continued non-stop, less than, maybe less than 24 hours, until they crucified him. And he died on the cross. So, he got arrested. Even when he got arrested, he behaved in very unconventional ways. Obviously, he was not yet experiencing fear in any way. He did experience terror at some later stages when he was tortured, and especially while he was crucified and about to die. But he was whipping at the people. They say, you come like cowards to arrest me in the night. Why didn't you arrest me in the day? What, am I a terrorist or something preparing some revolt? He says, am I leading a rebellion or something? I'm not. I'm a prophet. I speak the word of God. I've been there with you. Why now? Why like this? He calls the attention that he knows very well. Why? And he said, but this is no, a time allowed by God for this sacrifice, for this ugly sacrifice to happen. It's amazing because they arrested him Thursday evening, late in the evening, after he prayed in the Gethsemane Garden and all that. So he must have been 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, late in the evening 
of the Thursday and Friday, already by sunset, he was put in a tomb because the Sabbath was starting Friday at sunset. And we are told that he was quickly, quickly wrapped and so on and laid in a tomb before sunset. So it was not the Sabbath day. So he must have died around 3 o'clock p.m. and be put in the tomb until 6 o'clock p.m. Then they didn't have summertime or other bizarre things. So it was the sun is setting in March, April, when the Passover time is about 6 p.m. So by 6 p.m. he was buried. He must have passed away by 3 p.m. Imagine, they arrested him at 10 o'clock in the evening, and between 10 o'clock in the evening of, and the 3 p.m., it was non-stop. They arrested him. They took him before the priests. They took him before the king. They brought him back before the priests. They sent him in the morning, probably sometime, to the Roman procurator. He was judged. Mean during this time he was beaten, tortured, lashed 40 times and other entertainment, strong Roman entertainment. Therefore it happened non-stop from this moment on until, and then on the cross, he didn't die in five minutes. He must have stayed on the cross at least three hours. He must have been crucified at noon. So imagine how things went in just so few hours. There was, it was like non-stop from this moment. And he always gave reasonable answers, but again, he didn't act with his usual power. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. But when they had kindled the fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. But he denied. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You are also one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you are talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, he will disown me three times and he went outside and wept bitterly. This episode is quoted very often, and it has become part of folklore and part of many things, because, first of all, it shows that Jesus could see the future very clearly, that Jesus understood the human soul very clearly. He did not disown Peter, He did not say, when I was arrested, you behaved like a coward and you fucking ran away. And when they ask you, you just said, I don't know this man. No, this was not about it. Because Jesus understood that for Peter, this is the last lesson, the last straw. To truly, truly give himself to God, to Jesus. It is said 
in the unofficial, in the oral history of the church. And if I remember correctly, it is written in one of the apocryphal gospels, in the gospel of Peter, if I remember correctly, one of the Gnostic uh, gospels. It is written that Peter from that day on cried so much that 30 years later when he was crucified, he had marks on his cheeks from the tears. He couldn't stop crying. This crying, which is the awakening of Jivatman, is the awakening of the soul, which for some people it's a mystical crisis which can last for a few hours or even for a couple of days or two, three days. For Peter, it lasted for the next 30 years. Therefore, was it worth it that Jesus called his attention, but let it happen so that the man burned himself badly with this one. And then when he looked in the mirror, he said, I can't look in the mirror. You know, when when I look at myself, I feel like I want to cry. You know, I feel like I'm desperate. What have I done? And what kind of person am I? What kind of a lousy dog am I? Know that I behaved like this. So it's mentioned always, and it's mentioned because it shows this omen, like in that before the rooster crows, you know, then uh, like these are omens, right? A black cat is crossing your way, the rooster is uh, crowing uh, for the morning time, and then before that, or when you see that, or when you hear that, or when, you know, then this would have happened. It's almost a shamanic way of illustrating these things. And uh, he wept bitterly, and apparently he wept bitterly for the rest of his life. The men who were guarding Jesus began mocking and beating him. They blindfolded him and demanded prophecy. Who hit you? Prophesy. Who hit you? And then they said many other insulting things to him. Of course, if you want to go to the maximum of this, you will look at The Passion of the Christ, the movie graphically done by Mel Gibson uh, about the exact events, though the exact that exact night and the crucifixion. Um, what we see on the Shroud of Turin, the signs which exist on the Shroud of Turin, the marks of blood and others, they show indeed that the physical damage given to Jesus was extensive like the amounts of bleeding, wounds and things, is huge. This man was beaten to a pulp, really. And before the rulers gave a sentence, the soldiers were already having some fun. Please know it. Today, we live in apparently civilized countries, most of us. But unfortunately, many people have a hidden desire for violence, which is huge. And some of them who get hired in the military and in the police, they do it specially to be able to manifest some of these violent things. I remember one of my disciples from Rishikesh, who actually came and visited me, here also when I moved to Thailand, so I'm talking about 17 years ago or more, um, later I hear from a common friend, 
that he lost a tooth or something because somebody hit him with a head in his teeth while he was watching some football game in England and he was among the skinheads and the hooligans there, you know, the, the supporters, these violent people who are famous in England or right, they have a special names. Uh, and, he, and I said, this guy, I don't want to say his name, so that's why I'm not saying who he was. I'm saying this guy, like, this guy was a disciple in yoga. He came and visited me. He was practicing tantra with his wife. Um, like, what would such a person do in a British football match? No? And my friend said, well, it's the place where people can get drunk and fight with the opposite, with the other team of supporters. And they usually the police is very soft-handed on them if they don't attack the police. The police lets them fight with each other like dogs, you know. And in this way, basically, this man, every week, he needs some violence. This was a good disciple in yoga. He was doing yoga, if I remember correctly, he was a Pisces, astrologically, so he was not a fire sign. If he would have been an Arius or something, I would have said, of course, an Arius was aggressive. And so he was not. He was a Pisces, and he was going until he lost teeth out of his mouth in drunken brawls around the football stadium. People are like this. That's why when they put British guardians at some Iraqi prisons or Afghani prisons or something, Abu Ghraib, the famous scandal from Abu Ghraib from about 15 years ago, when they filmed what the British soldiers, and the same happened in Guantanamo with the American ones and others, what were they doing to the inmates? They were humiliating them, beating them, torturing them, urinating on them, making them eat their own shit, and other terrible things like this. No? And these were civilized people of the 21st century, not even 20th. It was after the year 2000 that these things happened. No? And when the hurricane Katrina hit America, then there was no electricity, there was no police, there was nothing because they were stupid and they let it happen without preparations. No? And then in a few days, people were... Uh, refugees were refugees on a ice skating stadium and other places. You know, of course, there was no ice in it. It was just a building where they had the uh, hockey stadiums and other things. And then immediately there came problems with giving the food, giving the water. And many people got beaten, tortured, and many women got raped. That is in the holier-than-thou United States of America in 2005 in the presence of still police, army, national guard. People have turned into monsters in 72 hours. It didn't take more than that. Because the human nature is terrible. I have seen often, I have experienced it personally, I have been handled by the police and the secret police and other people in communist Romania. And it was not an exception. You would think, ah, those people must have been particularly bad. They were not. They were human nature everywhere in this world. When people 
have the opportunity, the people that have this Manipura, my goodness, they are dying to discharge it. They are dying to have some cruel fun. So you can see it in the case of Jesus. Even without him being condemned, yet, because he had not been judged yet, neither by the priests nor by the king nor by the Roman procurator, he was already mocked, spat at, hit. They were basically treating him like a football. And it did happen. I have seen on the streets of India in New Delhi when they caught some guy. I was there. I have seen it physically. You know, they caught some guy who I don't know what mistake he had done. And then there were like seven policemen forming a circle around him. And then they were kicking and punching him from each other, like a ping pong ball, like this. Bam, 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 one from the back, one from this, you know. They were just having fun and they were laughing. It was great fun. But believe me, they were hitting this guy really seriously. It was not just some friendly, you know, they were hitting him badly. From the back, from the front, from the, you know, like a football. They were kicking him like a football and the guy was falling and standing up. And all the policemen were having a moment of fun. No, this was better than chai and masala tea. You know, this was some real fun where you can discharge this animal instinct. Imagine in the Roman army and so on, how many super violent people who, when they caught the opportunity, they would let it free. They would just release it. And now Jesus was suddenly an ex-important person whom they could mock, you know. Suddenly, this guy who was the pure prophet of yesterday, now you could spit on him and kick him in the butt and, you know, insult him and tell him, you know, why don't you make a prophecy? You know, if you are a clairvoyant, then say, who hit you? You know, somebody would hit him from behind and then they would do, you know, we have this game. The boys and other people were having this game in Romania, but not not so violently. It was a a pre-violence thing, you know that you would be surrounded by five people and one of them from behind would clap you on the head and then when you would turn, everybody would say like bees, you know, like bumblebees, you know. Like say, who is the bumblebee who sat on your head, you know. Like teasing, it was a teasing game, you know. But not painful. It was just teasing. But you could see, now when I look back, I can see that if those people would have been policemen or soldiers, they would have crossed the line. And it would, it would have started becoming painful and aggressive. So the men who are guarding Jesus must have been the temple soldiers, the militia of the temple, the Jewish militia. And they were mocking and beating him. It makes you cringe when you think that God came to visit the earth and some imbeciles were spitting at him and beating him and mocking him. And he allowed it to happen. No, because he could have zapped them back with some chinamasta lightning, you know, anybody who stretched their hands could have fallen down electrocuted or something. He didn't. They just went, like from this moment on, Jesus has changed gear. He is in another gear completely. No, because now he is not solar, he is not giving. He is giving implicitly. But Directly, he is enduring, he is taking. 
And so these barbarous baboons, you know, Jesus was so compassionate, so loving, so clean, so pure in so many ways, it, it makes you cringe, you know, how can God let this happen? You know, it's, it's too painful even until here, it's too painful to think about it. And they said many other insulting things to him. At daybreak, the council of the elders of the people, both the chief priests and the teachers of the law, met together and Jesus was led before them. If you are the Messiah, they said, tell us. Here it tell us that it happened at daybreak. It happened Friday morning. So it means Jesus was arrested for about six hours. And during those six hours, the soldiers did some bad things. Jesus answered, If I tell you, you will not believe me. And if I asked you, you would not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. So, the answers which he gives cannot be understood unless you study the prophets and you see who was sitting by the right hand of God. If God was a king, then who is the prime minister who sits the, 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 the son, number one, the oldest son, who sits together with his father by the right hand. Traditionally, the queen will sit at the left because she is a shakti, if there is a queen, and then at the right hand is the champion of the king or the prime minister of the king, the one who does the bidding of the king, the one who is the active, the CEO for the king. No? So... Jesus told them clearly, you know, it's obvious that you arrested me by night. You are bound to destroy me because you haven't, you could have tried to arrest me yesterday in the daytime and say, hey, we have seen you around for three, four days. You are too disturbing. Come a little bit before the high priest and so on. We really need to, you know, they, they could have arrested him if you would have said, no, no, I don't want to come. Well, come anyway. No, they could have taken him. But then the crowds would have been there. Now it was 6 o'clock in the morning or whatever it was. They took him and Jesus said, it's obvious where this is going. You know, it's, you made a secret council here where you are 90% against me. And now you are asking me the most painful question. You're asking me, are you the Messiah? And then he said, what? If I tell you, you will not believe me. And if I asked you, because he could take them by the Socratic method and ask them, do you know about this? Do you know about this? Did you hear about this? Did you hear about Lazarus? Did you hear about, no, like, no, I could ask you, but then they would say, then you would not answer. Because he asked them, was uh, Peter, I'm sorry, was John the Baptist having power from God or from man? No, and they refused to answer because both answers were damaging for them. And then Jesus knows, I can beat them with words, but they choose the way of simply ignoring the words and not answering. I can, you know, or I can tell them the truth, but then they would get mad and not listen. So he simply said, well, you are asking stupid questions, I, I will not tell you. A bit defiant, not cooperant, not diplomatic at all. And then he says, 
I, if I tell you you don't believe, if I ask you you won't answer, therefore you will see the Son of Man. You see, he was not yet. Remember, he still, still had to go through the beating, humiliation. He got a bit portion, a little portion before this, but the worst was yet to come. And he was, therefore, knowing what is happening. He already had a taste of some things. And he was not yet past the test. Theoretically, in front of him, there were still nine hours of hell. And in those nine hours, maybe he would have changed his mind. But he knew he wouldn't change his mind. And he simply said what would happen. From now on, like I, he almost like, I passed the test already. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the mighty God. They all asked, Are you then the Son of God? He replied, You are right in saying, I am. Like, you said it, and you are right. Like, there, is, there cannot be a more straightforward answer. So he simply says, even you said it, like he kind of shares it with them. But nevertheless, the idea is quite clear. So he replies in a way which is slightly irritating. No, like, you said it, and you are right. But I wouldn't like, if I would be the investigator of such a person, I wouldn't like him to constantly jeer at me. You know, like, uh, you said it. Yeah, are you a terrorist? Yeah, you said it. And I'm like, fuck you, you know, zap. Clap him over the face, you know, because he answers in a naughty way. He speaks back. He talks back. No, he shouldn't be talking back. No, he constantly did that. Then they said, why do we need any more testimony? We have heard it from his own lips. That was, uh, it, it is a, a very important thing here because uh, the Jews were monotheistic in a fanatic way. Today, fantastically enough, in the Kabbalistic science and other, they recognize some triadic unit of God. Even in the Freemasonic temples and so on, they draw this Egyptian triangle with the eye in the middle and all that, like a God which is a triad. In Kabbalah, they mention that for God, you can have the syllables or the words en, sof, or, which basically, although my pronunciation is not lovely, uh, it means infinite light. And it's one, two, three, en, sof, or. And the last of them, or, is light. And the light would be the Holy Spirit or Shakti. And Sof, like in Sophia, wisdom, but of course it's infinite and a, a lot of things are there. Then it is the sun and the Shiva principle. Well, this division of God in three was not yet very clear at that time. So the fact that there is a son of God and that son of God is a symbolic name. It's not a family thing. It can be interpreted Walt Disney-like, but it actually represents a principle like the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Paramashiva, Shiva, and Shakti, no? and that the Son, and that are you, the Son of God, was very offensive because some of the, the Jewish theology was not finalized at that time. 
the Jewish theologists, the rabbis, they kept on writing theology and commentaries on the Torah, on the Talmud and other, and the, the famous Sefer, Sefer Ha, Sefer Yetirak, Sefer HaZohar and others, they were written after Jesus' time, in the 5th century, in the 6th century, and so many of them were after. And there, in those texts, the inspiration, probably also because of Jesus himself, is coming clearly, and they would accept a triadic nature of God. But they would not accept the triadic nature of God at the time of Jesus. And then the fact that Jesus was splitting God and saying, in God there is God the Father, and then there is a very privileged chair, which is called God the Son, and I am that Son of God. It's like God is one, and saying that you are the Son of God is like you are usurping the power of God, and you make yourself equal to God, and it sounded to them honestly like a blasphemy. Because theologically, things were not clarified, and therefore it was very slippery. And Jesus came in these three years and created a sort of theology of his own, which was the root of the future theology of Christianity. So they said, why do we need any more testimony? Like this guy says he's the son of God, but God is just one. There cannot be God, and now suddenly you had his son. And tomorrow you are going to come and tell us that there is a cow of God as well. And that there is, you know, and then you are starting adding all sorts of divine pantheon and characters. While God is one and should stay one. No, forget about the Son, forget about the Holy Spirit. You know, those maybe are characteristics or something, but they are not part of God. But Jesus presents as God. And not, not only that, but He is the Son of God. And they ask Him. And he said, yes, you said it, which means you don't really understand what you are speaking about. But yes, I am. And then they said, what do we need more? This man is a blasphemer. For them, the thing was blasphemy, was to say that this man doesn't know what he's talking and theologically he's offending all the foundations. Then the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate. The original story seems to have been more complicated. Even in the Jesus movie, not in all of them, they illustrated. Because the priests didn't have the power of life and death. Apparently, because they were allowed to send a woman to be stoned to death for adultery. So I don't know how, but in the case of Jesus, they didn't feel they had the power to say, take this guy and stone him in a corner to death because he is a blasphemer. They didn't have that. It was too much of a hot potato. And then they sent him to the king, to King Herod, the son, you know, the one who had ordered the death of John the Baptist, who was living nearby, like a kilometer, two kilometers nearby, outside of the walls of Jerusalem. And this King Herod, who was a, whatever he was, you know, he had been capable to condemn to death John the Baptist or the pussy of Salome, or whoever, the, the wife of his brother, or something. You know? So he was a bad lot. He didn't want, he simply said, no, 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 I don't want the blood of this guy on my hands, and so on. Because they said, you are the king, you condemned him to death, because as a king you have the power of life and death. And then he sent him back to the priest. And then the priests have scratched their head, and they say, how do we do to kill this guy? Oh, well, it's the Romans. The Romans have the authority of life and death. Let's give him to the Romans. Let's make the Romans 
crucify him. Miraculously, because the hour of the darkness was there, because there were 24 hours where Satan was dancing big time, was the dance of the devil happening, uh, somehow they managed to convince the Romans. The Romans in those times, they were very proud that they were not barbarians, that they were civilized, that they were bringing roads and aqueducts and all the stuff, and that they, these Jewish guys, they are just some barbaric tribes with some barbaric customs, and Rome is always just. So according to a justice, just that a hippie dressed in white robes was saying some bizarre ravings about the kingdom of heaven and that you should forgive your enemies and so on. It's like, that was not a reason to kill him. So it was almost impossible in normal condition. Yes, Barabbas, Barabbas had killed one or several Roman soldiers. So if you kill a Roman soldier, you die. Then the Roman procurator will not hesitate for a second. Because it was an attack against the military power of Rome. But with Jesus, there was nothing. And normally you would expect that the Romans will say, come on man, you wake me at 8 o'clock in the morning with this bullshit that you have some hippie preacher who you want to get rid of and you want to do it with my iron hand. You know, and like, we can beat him a little bit, you know, if you want or something, which they did of course. And some, and not a little, they did it thoroughly, the Roman way. But kill him? It's incredible. It's, you can see it in the Jesus movie that it's illustrated brilliantly by Zeffirelli. There is this Manipura contact between the powerful people of the day that they are all in a network and I scratch your back, you scratch my back. If you do this service for me, I will do another service for you. And then for the sake of this ugly obligations, eventually even Pontius Pilate was pushed in a corner and he had reluctantly, apparently, he had to give the order, you know, crucify this guy. Okay, crucify because I want to be friends with the priests tomorrow as well. And uh, that's the condition which they are putting for it. So they let him finally, he led to Pilate because Pilate had the real iron fist there. And they began to accuse him saying, we have found this man subverting our nation he opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be the Messiah, a king. The clever devils. They were telling to Pilate what he wanted to hear. Like they didn't tell to Pilate, this man is accusing us that we are false teachers and that he knows the road to heaven better than us. Because Pilate would have laughed, turned on his heels and went out of the room in the same minute. No, like that was none of his problem that these people were having religious qualms with Jesus. But they dug and dug and they say, if he claims he's the Messiah, the Messiah is claimed to be a king. And therefore this man claims to be the king. But hey, we have a king, Herod, who is friends with you, who is obedient to you, who is paying taxes to you. So if this guy usurps the role of king, maybe he will be a disobedient king and he will be a thorn in the rib of Rome. And like we don't need the revolution and social changes. So like if this man would be just a preacher, it's okay, you know, but this man claims to be the king. They knew where to hit. 
very smart, manipuristic Jewish way, they thought and thought, what accusation can we put on the table to really scratch the skin of Pilate, of Pon, Pontius Pilate, you know, to scratch him a little bit, you know, and like, and um, are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. Of course, he replied metaphorically. Again, he could have said, do you allow me three minutes, honorable procurator, to tell you really what this whole story is, why they brought me here? In front of him, they wouldn't have been able to speak. They wouldn't have been able to stop him from speaking because Pilate would have said, shut up, let the man speak. You know, He would have wielded because it's the Roman sense of justice of verticality. I'm not going to condemn an innocent without hearing him. But even with Pilate, Jesus behaved a bit like an asshole. Like he behaved by giving oblique answers, irritating answers, you know. And here he said, yeah, in a way, I am a king. But he meant something completely different. Then Pilate announced to the chief priests and the crowd. I find no basis for a charge against this man. Even then, Pilate, you know, he simply said, we crucified Spartacus and his fellows 70 years ago. They killed thousands of Roman citizens. They pillaged, they raped, they challenged the Roman Empire, you know, and so on. Then we had to crucify them to make an example of them because they were gladiators and they were great warriors and so on, you know. But this guy, just a guy who is coming and says, I am supposed to be the king of the Jews, and he looks like a hippie, you know, and he goes like a religious sectarian and so on. Like, we don't condemn to death such people. Like, we have plenty of crazy philosophers in Rome as well. If we'd crucify them all, you know, what would we do? But they insisted. He stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here. In those days, especially the provinces of Galilee and Judea, Galilee in the north and to the Lake Tiberias, and in the south, from Jerusalem and south to Bethlehem, Judea. And uh, they lie blatantly. Because he stirred up people, but he didn't stir up people against the Romans. On the contrary, we have a few examples where he made friends with the Romans, and they asked him, should we pay the money? And he said, well, whose whose face is on the coins? Oh, it's the face of Caesar. Then give to the Caesar what belongs to the Caesar. Like, he did not. These were lies, and it's interesting how a strong Manipura man like Pilate, how he managed to get himself convinced. They pressed so much, and his first reaction was no. It appears that the story was more complicated. We are told in other Gospels that his wife even had a dream in the night before where she was told symbolically not to condemn to death this man. Like the angels came and said, you can make a difference in history. And she told his husband, they are going to bring a man today to you. Don't condemn him to death. So Pilate was rather on the soft mood in that day. You know, he was like, no, 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 no. It's not reason enough to condemn a man to death just because he's a religious nutcase. 
On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. When he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, that is Judean, not Galilean, Herod was the king from south in Bethlehem. His father had killed the children in Bethlehem 30 years ago, trying to catch Jesus as a baby. So this was Herod, the son of Herod. It was another Herod, but with the same name. And then he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. He said, well, he's a Judean and so on. Whatever, Galilean, wherever he comes, take him to your king and let the king give him 40 whiplashes. Everybody was trying to get rid of the responsibility, except of the priests, because the problem was a religious problem. And these priests, unfortunately, that bunch, even if two or three of the priests liked Jesus, the rest of them was were satanic. They were, exactly as he said, that Satan entered Judas and made Judas. Those people had been entered by Satan 20 years before, and they were like this every day. They were the priests of Satan. It's very ridiculous when you think that they pretended that they were religious priests who were giving to people. I'm not saying that there cannot exist rabbis which are which heart is with God. Until today, they are. But not these political priests who are part of the high council and who had these ones were dirty as hell. These were slippery politicians, cunning manipuras, ugly, ugly people. I remember that there is a beautiful conference of Osho Rajneesh when he speaks and he says the church, the government, the polity, like everything which is dirty and ugly. You know? He defines them with his strong words in a very beautiful way. You know? He says, what do you expect nowadays? That all these people who are in leadership, they represent everything which is ugly. So, then, oh, so he sent him there. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he had been wanting to see him. This was the disciple of John the Baptist whom he had ordered murdered. So things were not quite kosher. But at least as a king, he was curious, you know, this is the king's jester. There's a new clown in town. And we got this clown to come and perform before me. Because I'm the king and I have a boring life. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform some miracle. That's precisely the point. Notice this, that when it came to duress, Jesus did not perform miracles. Jesus always performed miracles when and how it suited him. I would dare to say more, that Jesus performed these miracles, his miracles, his many miracles, in a state of joy, pleasure, being surrounded by people who believed and who asked for a sign. There's a certain encouraging psychology. But in the moment when the psychology comes like, 
Let's see. Do it. Now. They couldn't do it. The same thing is seen by people who try to do smaller paranormal things like bent spoons like Woody Geller or other such things when they are put in a laboratory with skeptical people around who say aren't you cheating uh, uh, do but don't do like that do you know like people who nag you they go in a state of mind where they can't do it or they simply don't want to do it like it's obvious and again paranormal things have happened to me in my life And I have seen different paranormal things which could be considered miraculous. And all of them happen in this playful mode of God. Never under duress. Sometimes, sometimes I've seen some people doing some magic yantras or some things under duress as a sort of a desperate self-defense. But then it was a different story. Then it was a sort of a Manipura self-defense. Obviously, Jesus does not want to apply this self-defense. That's why, please be aware, because that's one of the reasons why most of the parapsychological experiments, they do not succeed in laboratories. Because in laboratory, it's like people are brought before Herod and say, come demonstrate something. And in that state of mind, it's like all the miracle producing, all this paranormal thing of crossing, crossing over the veil of ignorance, crossing, crossing between the worlds, is gone. That's why I often say it's very difficult to demonstrate miracles and paranormal things because uh, it's like the story with Paracelsus and the Rose, which I hope some of you have read. Meanwhile, it's uh, Marques or Borges. I always mix those two up, which is unmistake, unforgivable in literature. It's Borges. So he wrote this Paracelsus, the Rose of Paracelsus. And Paracelsus obstinately refuses to materialize the rose from its ashes, to rebuild it in front of the disciple, because the disciple is asking exactly with this Manipura. He says, if you do this, I will be your disciple, for your slave for the rest of my life. That's precisely why Paracelsus won't do it. Because it's not meant to be done like this. And after the disciple goes, five minutes later, Paracelsus alone, he says the mantra and the rose materializes instantly. You know? Like it's it's very nice to do these things in a faithful, worshipful, playful way. They always work like this. And uh, you probably, Mukta, you are the only one who remembers in a Mahashivaratri with this girl who was having a problem, a health problem and so on. And then suddenly Shiva was dancing and there was a very playful atmosphere with a lot of people having faith and worshipping Shiva, you know. And it became possible very easily to play with her body and perform a thing which... One week later, she confirmed brilliantly, like it had happened at that time, and like she was healed uh, in a miraculous way, instantly. But not like, okay, why don't you do it? I give you fifty dollars if you can demonstrate. You know, it doesn't go like this. This defying stance is automatically closing the door for those. And Jesus, no, Herod says, 
he was pleased. He was pleased because for a long time he had been waiting to see him. Hey, let bring that clown here. Let him fly through the air a little. Let him walk on water or something. No, I'm very interested. I'm bored and I want to be entertained. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. That's what I'm talking about. Was he looking for it or not? Because Jesus could have given him answers, could have said, look, these assholes are following me to persecute me, saying that I want to do a revolution or something. I'm not. I'm a prophet of God. I'm the person of God. I'm the Messiah. I'm whatever. He could have said what he wanted. No? And he could have said, since three years, I preach a message of purification, forgiveness, love. No? Occasionally, some miracles have happened. It, they might happen in your presence, if you are patient a little bit. They come from God, and God is not obeying to you. And like, He could have explained in a very nice way that that guy would have said, wait, 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 wait we go no further. I want to stay with this guy for six months. Let him stay in my palace. I want to see what he is up to. Then, the 24 hours of darkness would have passed. The critical astrological moment would have passed. And then, things would have happened in a totally different way. History would have been totally different. But Jesus gave him no answer. Or, anyway, no satisfactory answers. He was monosyllabic, silent, whatever. And the king said, well, what about this? But what about that? And then the guy sits there in front of you like a dummy and looks at you, you know, like he's displeased. Then he looks like he doesn't give a shit on what you are saying, you know, then what should the king do? He irritated the Manipura of the king, obviously. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there, vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him. Dressing him in an elegant robe, they sent him back to Pilate. That's when they dressed him, like in that famous painting called Ecce Homo, where he is dressed in a robe like he is a sort of a king. And in in the robe of a king, with a robe over his shoulder, And that was to mock him. And of course, at that time, they probably spat him more, kicked him in the ass more, hit him more. You know, he was... And then they said to him, that day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies. And this was on the back of Jesus. No? Because they were sending the prisoner, you do him, no, you do him, and everything. So now they are on the same page. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against Like, I can say he's schizophrenic. He he looks like a schizophrenic to me. But that's not a basis for the fact to say that he wants to make a rebellion and overturn the Roman Empire. That, That is unfounded. Like... Rome had a superior system of justice. The Romans considered themselves to be very correct, very just. 
they were, you know, justice for them was a big thing because they were a Manipura empire and they wanted to have a healthy Manipura in this. So he simply said, according to Roman justice, there's not much. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. Like he mocked him a little bit, put a robe on him, kicked him in the ass, beat him a couple of times, then he sent him back. This guy is a joke. I can spit on him, Herod can spit on him, you know, it's like, this is not the leader of a rebellion who is trying to upset the Roman Empire. No. For, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. So, he said, I'll give him a non-lethal punishment, which was the punishment that he got whipped. With one voice they cried out, Away with this man, release Barabbas to us. Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. So here they mix the things. When you look in the movie, you know that these were separate things. He told them, okay, beat him. And they gave him 40 lashes, which was a huge punishment because that Roman lashing was with uh, this cat of nine tails or whatever. It was a terrible whip, which was taking away the flesh of your ribs on your back. And it was like one of the most blind. There were people who, like women, could not get 40, la- 40 lashes. Women were getting 10, 11, 12. That was the limit for women. And some men from this, they could go into anaphylactic, into a septic shock, and die. There are people who after being whipped 40 lashes, they died without crucifixion. They died in within minutes or hours or days because it was a horrible state of shock. And uh, there was a big loss of blood and a huge risk of infection and everything else. So they simply, this thing with Barabbas, came later because then Pilate tried one last scheme and he said at least let the people on the street decide because I don't trust you. You came this man and you insist and insist and insist and I don't trust you because I know you are nasty, manipuristic buggers. I know you in our day-to-day dealings that you are cheaters and liars and politicians and you know, and obviously you have something against this guy and you want to kill him with my hand with the hand of the Roman Empire. And therefore, he then he said, and then they started crying, Barabbas, Barabbas, give. they mix here the events. Luke has never been there. He heard this story from Paul or Peter, from Paul, if I remember correctly. And therefore, it is a third-hand story. Somebody told it to Paul, who was not there when it happened, and Paul told it to Luke. And therefore, uh, it's normal that some things are foggy. No. Wanting to release Jesus, wanting to release Jesus still, Pilate appealed to them again. But they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. This is the real bitter one. Yeah? And this, unfortunately, when it goes to the masses, it's sad. Because how did these people manage to make 70% of the people in the public plaza tell Barabbas, crucify Jesus, shouting it? 
Of course, it's manipulation. And we know that my people have voted George W. Bush for president, who was an imbecile, a moron. You know, and they voted him twice for president. And therefore, we know that manipulation happens all the time, even in modern times. No? And uh, therefore, not that it's not possible, but in the moment when you do it with the support of the masses, then the national soul is involved. And unfortunately, this sad event has had a very negative effect on the Jewish national soul, of a spiritual nature, of course, of a negative spirit. So, for the third time he spoke to them, why? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. They will, therefore, I will have him punished, which means flogged, and then release him. Like, I will give him a punishment because you say he is a troublemaker. Not that much as he should die. But with loud shouts they insistently demanded that he be crucified and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. That's where he made the mistake of his life because he was a politician. If he would have believed in the Roman justice, would have said, man, you can get naked and fuck each other with each other in front of me for the rest of the day and I will still not crucify this man because it's against the principles of the Roman justice. You can do headstand until sunset and I will not crucify this man. You can Whatever you do, you will not convince. But they convinced him. And that was a terrible error for which Pilate remains marked for a long, long time in his karma. So, Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, that's Barabbas, a zealot, and surrendered Jesus to their will. This is the said story, the sad end of this story, and from this moment on, they don't tell everything, that he was beaten before, he was beaten after, those 40 lashes which are mentioned here, Jesus got them anyway, now you could have said, come on man, if you just were going to crucify him, at least don't beat him, because it's unnecessary, you know, it's like, why beat him, you know, just so that somebody can have some fun beating him, no? So the story was a bit more complicated. He tried to beat him and he thought that would make them happy. But they were not happy because they knew this guy will come back, Jesus, and he will be double angry. And he will be speaking the truth double as much. And therefore they had to get rid of him. And remember, there was the astrological conjuncture. The stars were aligned. There was the hour of darkness. The devil was, had been given this power to take Jesus out. And the devil, as an obedient evildoer, he executed. Because from the standpoint of the devil, anybody who is like Jesus should be eliminated as quick as possible. Because everybody who does the job of Jesus is spoiling the plans of the devil. And therefore, if the devil could take out all the prophets 
and all the great enlightened, all the Buddhas and so on, the devil would do that. But of course it's not allowed because they are protected by angels and archangels and there are rules of engagement. And therefore, it's exactly like even in the military, they don't allow, theoretically at least, they don't allow snipers and others to shoot only the officers. No? Remember this scene from, uh, I think, The Patriot with Mel Gibson, where they were just shooting the British officers. No? Shooting, 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 and then the British army had no officers. And without officers, they could not control the troops. No? So it's the same. If you want to kill 50 people, why not choose the 50 more most representative spiritual people, the prophets, the gurus, the, inla- the buddhas, those, you know, so the devil is not stupid. The devil is infinitely smart. And therefore he would immediately focus his attention, like all my diabolic schemes should be focused on this, in this century, on this 100 people. There are 100 people in this century that I want taken out big time. But it's not possible. It's not allowed by the angels and by the divine rules. But in that moment, in that evening, and in that night, and in that Friday, the long Friday, as it's called in Christianity, the Friday where Jesus was judged, beaten, and then executed, the the controls were taken off. All these limitations were taken off, and the devil was allowed to step forward as much as he wanted. And of course, the devil just did his job. He had a unique opportunity to expel his arch enemy, Jesus. Zang! He hypnotized whoever he had to hypnotize in the high priests, in the pilots, in the whatever. He hypnotized whoever he had to hypnotize to make them execute Jesus. Like executing Jesus was the priority of the devil. And these people who made it happen, they were just the tools of the devil. But normally, the devil was not given the power to freely hypnotize everybody just like that. There were rules of engagement. Well, in this particular situation, there were no holds. There were no... No, for 24 hours... The rules were down. And it's like God said, okay, now you have 24 hours. No? And the devil understands, do your worst. Do everything you can. You've got 24 hours. So that's why when you study how people acted, even Pilate or whatever you want to call him, Pontius Pilate, he did not want to do it. He refused three times over. He kept on asking, but why, why, it's too much, it doesn't sound right to me. And eventually, because of Manipuristic compromise and politics, he did it anyway. He did it anyway. So that's why, think about it, because that's what's happening when the powers of darkness are taking over. Several people came and said, oh, we want to take teachings from Agama. And we said, why did you do shit in 2018? I said, we don't know. We were like swept away by a collective a stream of hate and so on. And 
That's exactly what we are talking about. Where the darkness is unleashed. And uh, if you search your soul, you will see. You will see that it happens. I can give you so many examples. There are people who, for example, try, let's say, in their karma yoga. Let's take an example from administration, like in a yoga school. They try. They try to do something on marketing, on advertising, or thing, and the whole forces are against them. And then I've seen this scene, I've experienced, you know, they make something wrong, something goes wrong, and their own friends who are in the same boat and they are colleagues. They enjoy it. They say, yeah, see, I told you that. You are two brothers in the same boat. And you are both fighting against the same devil. And the devil is so clever that he makes you be happy that your brother stepped wrong and did something wrong. And all you can say is, yeah, I felt it. I, I told you, you know, it's like a... No, this is exactly how it, it's, a, it's a phenomenon because then if you take the person and you say, why did you, you know, you enjoyed when this person did something wrong. Ultimately, they will say, yeah, I shouldn't have enjoyed, you know. I, I kind of got carried on by a primitive feeling from my amygdala, you know, from my hypothalamus. It was the reptilian brain. I somehow got irritated, like the dogs. One is barking, all the others are barking at the same level. Why? It's just a primitive brain. It's just a very primitive reaction. You know, I have seen groups in which nine people were lazy. One person was trying to do the right thing, unentropic, going uphill, fighting against the oppositions, you know, like let's get the computer to run or something because we really need it. And paradoxically, the other people were like, ah, don't do it, ah, just drop it. Ah, 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 ah. Discouraging. Like your own brothers, instead of encouraging you, you are, when you are in the same team, everybody is discouraging you. Then what to say about foreigners? What to say about people who are opposed to you openly? If the people who pretend that they are in the same team with you, they nag you. They disencourage you. I've seen, follow it. You'll see that sometimes people who are doing a very good thing, they do it against the opposition of 10 other people who are using psychological things like to discourage. It's happening all the time. And it's the same thing. This is the demonic power of the chaos, of the entropy, which wants that everything should be destroyed, fall apart, go decadent, exactly what's happening in Kali Yuga as we come from higher light and higher order and higher coherence of the universe and, of course, higher spirituality. So, you see that in such moments, even Peter did not dare to say, I'm with him. Because it was like swimming against a very powerful stream. But then, what did Jesus say? 
that I know that afterwards you will be the first to recover. Like after the rush passed and the Jesus was crucified and after he resurrected, then the first one who said, hey, aren't we a bunch of idiots? Like we've been with Jesus and now, and now we can't even believe that he came out of his grave. No? And the first was Peter. Like he, he came back to his senses. He came back out of this fighting against this river of darkness. What was happening in these hours was the devil flushing a river of darkness. And that river of darkness was flushed on Pilate, Pilate of Pontius Pilate, on Herod, on the priests, and even on the population. Somewhere in another gospel, there is even the the formula that some of the priests or the population said, okay, don't hesitate so much to crucify this guy. May his blood be on our heads. No, like the, popu- the, the people pretending to represent the people, they said, if we, the people of Israel, killed Jesus erroneously, may it be on the karma of Israel. You know, we are, we're taking this responsibility. You just kill him. Don't have too many scruples. Which, of course, the Roman Empire or, was also a very demonic entity having killed and enslaved so many. And therefore, Pilate, he was not a clean man. He was representing a monster as well, a monstrous empire. And that's why somehow they had a deal. They came together. And thus, Jesus was assassinated by this conspiracy of the ugly Manipura from here and the ugly Manipura from there. And in this hour where the devil was pouring this river of darkness, they were all swept away and did it. Before they could think too much, the deed was done, Jesus was crucified, and history was written in this way. It's very interesting for you to study these dynamics of evil What's happening when things go wrong? Again, look at the condemnation of Joan of Arc. And in history, look at any other times when this had been done. Yeah, I don't uh, know what you refer to with that. Yeah, okay. I didn't know they chopped him up. That, That detail escaped me. So, Anyway, uh, let's stop here. We are in the middle of the chapter 23, so I guess we will have maybe two or three more satsangs to finalize this fascinating and amazing story of the mission of Jesus on earth. So we are going to speak about the crucifixion and the resurrection and all that. And uh, then we are going to look into other subjects. I really wanted to finish this Gospel of Luke um, because I don't want to leave things half interrupted like that. And then we are going to look to see what other text or great spiritual subject we are going to comment on in our satsangs. I think it is enough for tonight. Thank you all for joining.
and see you further in the activities of Agama or via the satsangs.